Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to tell you a story today. It's one of my favorite stories. You might have heard it before. But it's an illustration to understand the kingdom of God. Uh, the subject of these parables in Mark 4. Um, and I want to tell you about a modern day folk hero named Kyle McDonald. Kyle McDonald. Years ago, this man was stuck in a dead-end job. He strapped for cash, and he came up with a crazy plan. He had a red paper clip, and he decided he would see if he could trade this red paper clip uh, for something bigger or something better. Uh, maybe long ago in a youth group, you did a scavenger hunt called Bigger and Better. Anyone play that back in the day? When I was a Young Life leader at Cedar Shoals High School, at least once a year, we would do Bigger and Better, and we would give all the kids something and they would have to go door to door and say, can you give me something bigger or something better? Uh, one time there was a group of ladies from Cedar Shoals High School. They went to Millage Avenue. And by the time they were done, they had a cardboard Budweiser tank that they brought back for bigger and better. It was an amazing thing. And so this guy, Kyle McDonald, said, I wonder what I could do with this. This is all I have. Let's start trading. Uh, he figured out he could just trade on the internet for things that were bigger or things that were better. And so the first thing he did, he traded a red paper clip, and red's pretty cool, right? We like red here in Athens. Traded a red paper clip for a fish-shaped pen. Clearly bigger, I don't know if it was better. Next, he trades that pen for a doorknob. Trades the doorknob for a Coleman stove. Now we're getting somewhere. Someone had a stove, they didn't want it, they traded it to this guy. He trades the stove for an electric generator. Takes the generator, it's a common theme, gets a Budweiser sign and some other uh, things in a keg with that. Trades that for a snowmobile. Apparently people have snowmobiles to trade in Canada. Is this true? Anyone been to Canada? I don't know, I've only been there once. Um, exactly one year, 14 trades later, he exchanged a part in a Hollywood movie for a home in Saskatchewan, Canada. A house for himself and his family. You see, he had the ability to see this power, this potential, and something small and insignificant. It's really a parable of the kingdom of God. Very similar to what Jesus is doing here as he teaches. I want to just, I want you to keep that in mind as we look at these two parables from Mark chapter 4, and something similar is going on. We're going to see the power of the kingdom of God and its potential. Um, and I think this is one of those lessons, I don't know about you, um, every year the church has us spend a lot of time looking at the kingdom of God. And I think it's because we're so prone to forget it. Or even if we know about it, we, we don't love how it takes place or or how it meets the day-to-day -day life that we live. And so we're taken back over and over again to Jesus the King and his teaching on the kingdom. After all, there's something inside of us that knows uh, almost intuitively what things are supposed to be like. like. Like we know at a gut level when things are broken or bent or distorted, and we just want someone to fix it. 
uh, to make things right. Uh, we long for what the Bible calls shalom, wholeness, and joy. And I would even submit that there's something within each of us that wants to live uh, not just as the, the captain of our own ship, but to live under the good and beautiful rule and reign of God, our Creator. We know that we're a mess. <laughs> we look around, we know that things are a mess, and something's got to happen. Something needs to come and make things right. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian uh, minister, he served for a long time in Manhattan, says that this longing is embedded in the legends of many cultures. And though the stories are all different, you see similar themes. A true king will come back, slay the dragon, kiss us and wake us out of our sleep of death, rescue us from our imprisonment and lead us back. A true king will come back to put everything right and renew the entire world. And I'm gonna use self-restraint and not use a Lord of the Rings illustration for once. Bill used a Lord of the Rings illustration last week. We only get one per month in the Anglican church. So it's already been used up. We can't talk about Return of the King, but you know what I'm saying when I talk about a Lord of the Rings reference. Um, and, and that wasn't much different in the first century. They felt the same. They knew that things were messed up in them. They knew the world around them wasn't right. And, and they were longing for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to show up for his Messiah to come and do the work that they hoped he would do. And finally, Jesus has arrived. We've been hearing, if you're reading just the first chapters of Mark, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. They're like, finally. It's finally gonna happen. Finally, the king has come. Finally, Messiah is here. Again, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. No more waiting. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. <laughs> That's Mark 1. By Mark 4, folks are looking around going, is this it? Right, this is what we waited for? I mean, a couple people got healed. A couple of nobodies are following this rabbi. But what else has changed? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom has come. Really? Why have things not changed drastically? And into these, I think, confused and disappointed questions, Jesus starts to tell these parables. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Um, and you can imagine the anticipation. Okay, good. <laughs> We've been waiting for him to get it right. Now he's going to tell us what this is really all about. The kingdom of God is like. What's he going to say? Maybe he's going to say the kingdom of God is like the temple. The, the seat and center uh, throne of worship where God's presence resides as this fiery presence only bigger. That's maybe what he's going to say. Or, or maybe Jesus is going to say the kingdom of God is like the Garden of Eden, but no sin snakes, no fall. Or maybe he's going to say the kingdom of God is like Rome itself this destination in the first century, white, pristine, majestic. <laughs> and Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Can you imagine them going, what? The kingdom of God is like the little house on the prairie? 
Are you kidding? They're waiting for something grand and glorious, something that would transform their lives, transform the entire world. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that, that farmer, that gardener, just throwing some seed on the ground. It's dirt under your fingernails, normal life somehow, where the kingdom of God meets us. Um, and I don't know about you all, I was at, uh, we drove out to the Georgia-Alabama state line yesterday to a farm uh, for a wedding, beautiful wedding. You can, I mean, we drove through Atlanta, and as we drove through Atlanta, we said, man, their pace of life is a little faster than Athens. We can't wait to get back to Athens where we don't have this traffic and this pace. Um, but we go to this farm on the Georgia-Alabama line, I'm like, I bet they would come to Athens and go, their pace is crazy. Like it's just a whole different level of slow and patient. And then everyone there moves at their own pace. You get behind a car and this, it was Harrelson County, Alabama. That car is gonna go as fast as they feel like it. Nothing you do is gonna change. You can honk, you can wait. They're just gonna keep moseying at their own pace. And I think there's something to that where Jesus says, this man's just scattering seed on the ground. There's no urgency, there's no hecticness, there, there's not our kind of frenetic energy behind that. The kingdom is coming at its own clip. It comes slowly through a process like a seed growing. I mean, how many of you have ever tried to watch a seed grow? Anyone? Anyone or at least like maybe, if you do that experiment when you were a little kid where you had like the styrofoam cup and you put the seed and you sit there and you just watch. And the next day you come back, you're supposed to log what's happened to the seed. What'd you say? Nothing. Nothing's happening. What in the world is going on? And then eventually, what do you see? A little, little sprout comes up. What does Jesus say here? The kingdom of God is as if, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. He's doing his own thing. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. He can't make it grow. He can just set up the conditions for it to take place. And then the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Once that's ripe, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Um, it's fascinating that Jesus points out this seed will take root and grow, uh, and the farmer doesn't know how it happened. The farmer can't make it happen in any way. And despite the farmer's absence and ignorance, the tree or the seed grows all by itself. All by itself. The, the Greek word there, you'll actually know it. It's, it's what we, it's automatic, essentially. It just does its thing automatically, independently. Despite what the farmer does or doesn't do, once the process, the seed takes root, it is going. And think about it, when a seed is planted in the ground, um, you can't see it, but this process has started where everything that the seed needs to grow into this flowering, fruitful plant has started. It's all there. It's just in this hidden little seed uh, in the ground. Now, let's take it back to the first century. They're hoping for a true king to come and put everything right, to renew the entire world. Jesus says the kingdom has come, but it hadn't happened the way they thought. And what Jesus is reminding them, I think, is that the kingdom of God takes time. 
It's on God's schedule, not ours. And I think he wants them to know that once the process has begun, it is an automatic, inevitable process that it will reach its intended point of flourishing and fruitfulness. Even if it's not on their timetable or it's not matching what their eyes see. Um, that means, friends, that the growth of the kingdom is not contingent on human ability, wishes, or wants. Um, and thank God that's true, <laughs> uh, that, it, that it's doing its own thing. You, we can't rush it or hurry it along. Jesus says the seed of the kingdom has been planted because the king himself has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. Because Jesus came down into the depth of all that was messed up, our humanity, our sin, He's planted by God in that way, like a seed scattered on the ground. Um, and again, like the seed, the growth of the kingdom is automatic. It's inevitable, even when it's hidden from our view. So an interesting question here would be just to ask, who's in control? Who's in control of this growth process? Um, and this parable, the people, they're questioning Jesus. He just said, hey, remember, you're not in control of the kingdom. God is. Um, which is a lesson I forget often and easily. <laughs> it's something I have to be reminded of because I feel more like the ones who gather around Jesus saying, is it time yet? Where it, when's it coming? What's happening? Let's go. This is the parable Jesus tells them. Um, what, he's, what they're seeing, it doesn't meet their preconceived notions or their expectations. They thought that the kingdom would come, how? By force. That there would be a great military leader another David or, or another Judas Maccabees, and, and he would come and he would lead the fight against the enemies of God. And instead, Jesus comes, and it's completely different. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kingdom that comes about through peace. And it's a, honestly a kingdom that comes about through uh, not, not the taking of life, but the giving of life. And so eventually we come to the cross where Jesus gives himself like a seed scattered on the ground, submits himself to death for us and for our salvation. And so where's the potential here? Let's look at the potential of the kingdom, this bit about the mustard seed. Um, it's interesting. He's just telling another parable. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Again, nothing grand, nothing glorious. A mustard seed is what it's like. Uh, Jesus says it is the smallest seed you plant in the ground, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. A um, couple quick points on that. Um, first of all, just as kind of a, maybe a, a, a side area to mention, um, this passage does talk about the smallest of seeds, and uh, you may find those who get bogged down in some minutia and detail regarding this passage. Because as any botanist will tell you today, especially if maybe they have a little ax to grind here, um, guess what, friends? The mustard seed is not the smallest seed. And they go, oh, look, that settles it. We can't trust the Bible. We can't trust Jesus. I took Botany 101, and he's wrong. I would say, please go take English 101 also. <laughs> because what's happening here, just so you know, um, 
is that the, the mustard seed being the smallest seed, that's like, that's like a slogan, it's a saying. That, that's how language works. In the first century, small like a mustard seed, that stood for something proverbially small. It, it's a truism. It, it's the day that, you know, we would say something like, um, how do you feel today? Oh, I'm happy, I'm, I'm high as a kite. Um, yesterday, we had this long drive to this wedding. I'm hungry, I could eat a horse. No horses in the other field got worried. When we, we know how language works. When Jesus says it's the smallest seed, like a mustard seed, they get that. Um, so I, I just want to put that out there. If you have heard anyone say, look, here's a, an error. Here's an inconsistency. This is not to be trusted. Um, I want to say sometimes there are good questions to ask of the Bible. Um, and here's a place where when you ask that question and look into it, you just see, oh, th- there's something that in first century, uh, for the first century audience, it made total sense. And we just have this cultural gap we need to come back on to see this is how it was said. Um, if Jesus had told them, let me tell you about the smallest seed, and it was a seed they had never heard of, it would have made no sense, right? They would have been completely and totally confused. The greater point is not concerned with botany, but it's that the kingdom of God arises from obscurity and insignificance. This tiny mustard seed. Um, in, in our culture, we are fans of things like grand openings, aren't we? Uh, ribbon cuttings. If a new business opens in Athens, the chamber will go for a huge grand opening, ribbon cutting. But God seems to prefer small beginnings when we read about the kingdom. Um, just remind us that small doesn't mean insignificant or of no consequence. A red paper clip can eventually become a house. A mustard seed can become a tree. We start with a king. We get to the kingdom. They're hoping for a grand opening, but God is doing something small, but significant in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, there's a writer at Christianity Today Uh, David Neff is his name. He says that God offered us something that could have been small and obscure and forgettable. And his gift is like that mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, as God offers the life and death of one person in a small oppressed country 2,000 years ago. That's the offer. That's the seed that comes to us. Yet from that smallest of seeds, The church, the kingdom of God have grown and flourished. We see people from every uh, tribe and tongue and nation. We see lives transformed. We see eternal life has begun. What has seemed insignificant now demands our full attention. What has seemed like a dead end, the crucifixion of this Jewish tradesman, now promises to make all things right and new, starting with you and me. And all this is happening in God's way, according to his plan, following his timetable. And he calls us to join him in the work, to be apprentices, to learn the good and beautiful ways of our good and beautiful God. And we don't do this on our own, because like a seed planted in the ground, now God plants uh, the Holy Spirit into the fertile ground of our lives and of the church. The Spirit comes making worship possible producing spiritual growth, producing fruit, empowering us to do the work that God has given us to do. 
for him, for his glory, for the sake of others. All this is happening because of what God has done. Kyle McDonald turned one red paper clip into a house. That's crazy. By recognizing the inherent value and power in something small, he saw the potential uh, when no one else did. Jesus comes in Mark chapter one, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news. Can you see the powerful potential in that? Again, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like them. Maybe you're doubting. You have trouble seeing, trouble trusting, waiting in hope, and that's okay. A lot has changed. A lot has happened. The kingdom of God has grown over 2,000 years, but there's still a lot of work to do. Countless lives have been changed. Nations have flooded in, but still doesn't quite look like the kingdom, does it? We're waiting for that moment What we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we look around, we don't see everything aligning with God's perfect will. So we pray for it. We long for it. We hope for it. And we wait for him to come and make all things new. This a parable assumes these stages, times of sowing and growth and harvest. And it gives us a little bit of a timestamp, just lets us know um, if, the, if there's a stage of planting and growth and harvest. The time of planting was the life and ministry of Jesus, the sending of the Spirit. Uh, the time of growth, that's where we are. <laughs> and, and we're waiting the time of the full harvest. We can actually put ourselves on that timeline and understand a little bit why things are still growing and not yet at their fullness with where we are uh, right now. Um, but we're reminded that this process will happen. There's an automaticness to it. God's working his plan. Even if hidden and unrecognized, the kingdom is present and will be fully revealed in God's timing. And we say this every week, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Orients us to where we are. Christ has come, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Similar to that time of planting, growth, and harvest. We can see how that lays out really, really nicely. And so then we're summoned to be uh, by the king to be part of that kingdom. And not only to be part of it, but in faith and hope to to pray for it and, and to wait for it and to, and to work for it and, and to see it begin to be lived out in our midst among us. Um, that's, that's our call. And I think the questions, whenever I read about the kingdom of God or study it, um, again, part of it is, is beautiful and it's, it's everything we long for. And the other part is frustrating because I'm not, I want it now. <laughs> and, and things don't line up. And I think the, the one thing to always ask is, is, do you know the king and are you part of that kingdom? Those meet us right, right where we are. Do you know the king? Are you part of his kingdom? I'll close with this. This is a, um, a, a writer, Frederick Beekner. Maybe you've read Frederick Beekner in the past. His stuff is, is great. Let me read this to you uh, as we close. It says, if we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God and the sense of holiness and goodness and beauty is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born both within ourselves and within the world. We would know 
that the kingdom of God is what we all hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It's home. And whether we realize it or not, we are all homesick for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.